Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. John Mason, British national incarcerated on Alcatraz in 1962, escaped in 63. There's no identity in the United States or Great Britain. He does not exist. Secrets have a way of coming back to haunt you. There's a hostage situation on Alcatraz. Hostage, 81 tourist. The Rock's a tourist attraction. Go talk to him. Me? Yeah. Hiya. I'm an agent with the uh, F- FBI. I'm Stanley Goodspeed. But of course you are. At least he got his name right. Now, all that stands between a city and a disaster. The power of this chemical is way beyond anything you can imagine. That's why you're coming with us. Is a man who's never seen combat. You're a chemical freak. <laughs> I'm a chemical super freak, actually. And another who's been out of action for 30 years. Show us on the blueprints. I can't. My blueprint was in my head. Fortunately, some things you'll never forget. But don't worry. It'll all come back to me. We got visitors. Sean Connery. I'm sure you're ready for this. Do my best. Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Nicholas Cage. Listen, I'm just a biochemist. I drive a Volvo. Beige one. So what do you say you cut me some friggin' slack? Get ready to rock. Hello and welcome to Smash Pod Royale, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films and Bond-related films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we'll be attempting the impossible to enjoy a Michael Bay film. Then we'll also try and break in to The Rock. And joining me to whine about doing his best is writer and chemical super freak, while in the presence of elected officials, that is, Seamus O'Reilly. Hello, thank you for having me. I, I also accept Beatlemaniac. Oh yes, um. of course. <laughs> uh, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Uh, very well. Um, we're we're doing lockdown chic very well in my house. Mm. Um, yeah, it's all, it's good thing you don't have video because um, yeah, I'm all business up top, but uh, very much pajamas down below. So oh, good, good. I'm not quite ready to see that. I don't know you well enough to see that. No, no, we we we've got a very low context culture in Ireland. It's fine. That's, That's fine. why the um, Irish dancers are like that. That's true. Um, they don't. They just they just do it 
below the below the window level is the idea that That's if, true. Someone was, if someone was looking in the window at someone doing Irish dancing they wouldn't know they were dancing because you don't do true. anything up top mm. business is up top yeah. party below yeah that's the same with my hair card at the moment. <laughs> oh, God, that's a real problem. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, there are obviously, apparently there are other more serious problems, but it's yeah. really starting to affect my, my self-image. Yeah. Um, I felt quite happy because I got mine done about a week before lockdown. So I thought at the time, well, I'm glad I got my hair cut. But of course, now it's all grown out. Well, do you see that there's actually become, it's like become like a sort of a Spanish intuition, uh, intuition Spanish inquisition thing now. Mm. A few Premier League footballers have been uh, yes. putting up their, their, their pictures in, in, on Instagram or whatever. And, you know, everyone's like, where'd you get that cut? Where was that cut? What was that? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think if, if, if nothing else, we're a nation of, you know, total narcs, which is probably oh yeah, pro- probably good, all things considered, unless we're um, government advisors. Yeah. Well, luckily for you, because you're Irish, you can just ask your other Irish friends. That's true. I, I, it's funny you should say that, but one of my dearest friends, Sarah, who lives quite close to me, she's Irish as well, mm-hmm. and she's a hairdresser. So if it was, if we were all able to just kind of, I don't know, all get sick at the same time, then all quarantine together for two weeks and then say, hey, do you have... Do you have a few minutes to Oof. just go over this absolute mess? Again, this does nothing, Seamus, to dispel the theory that all Irish people know each other. Because I know it's it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. It's also it's the kind of thing you don't want to admit to the English people when they're watching. One time, I moved into uh, when I just moved into a house in London. This is nine years ago. Mm. Uh, our upstairs neighbours were moving in, and I heard like they had Irish accents. So I think, oh, where should go and say hello to them. And uh, happened to do that just out in the little outside area where some other friends were kind of some other people who lived in the building all English uh, were like just having a little sort of out, outdoor little bite to eat. And I went over to, hey, have you just moved down upstairs? She says, oh, Seamus, should I know ye? And it was a girl I, I knew called Orla who had gone on holiday with like wow. five or six years previously. Eight million people in London. And <laughs> she moved in above me. And it just, all of the very polite, lovely, our English friends who were sitting watching this interaction from the picnic tables outside the gaff it cemented in their heads that there are about nine irish people mm. and we all know each other so yeah 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 i mean i'm just glad richard curtis isn't listening to this that's all yeah <laughs> he would turn it into a fantastic story and then write you out of the all credit to it he'd call it bagora <laughs> and it'll be about an irish man and an irish woman who went to school together and were lovers oh not lovers <laughs> They liked each other, and then 20 years later, they ended up living in the same house. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I do wonder why Donald Gleeson wasn't allowed to keep his, uh, his actual accent. Uh, well, in, in About film. Time. In About Time, which I thought was a fairly charming movie. But the like, time-travelling no rapist, yeah. <laughs> I didn't also quite... I'm sure I understood it while I was watching the film, but I've never been able to re-orient uh, myself into the whole thing about if you go back past a certain time, the sperm changes and your child isn't the same. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I That's mean, the one where Bill Nye has to go in a cupboard and have a wank to go back in time, isn't it? Yeah, it appears to be that the wanking is very much kept silent, but yeah. I think I think that is part of the ritual. That's just what I assumed. <laughs> I've got something to tell you, son. You can go in a cupboard and masturbate, and you'll be able to go back in time. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about Richard Curtis, even though he's probably listening and writing all our ideas down. Um, we're here to talk about The Rock. Yes, um, you mentioned earlier about Michael Bay and uh, his films. Coming into this, I I probably had this, a, a similar attitude to Michael Bay as a lot of people, which is I almost find it hard to enjoy him, even the sort of brain off, yeah, ver- like 
sort of uh, idea with films like oh you just check your brain at the door and you just enjoy it because and I think The Rock has a lot of these elements it just seems it's, it's more stupid than it needs to be a lot of the time with Michael Bay like yeah the, 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 the opening five minutes of this film I oh mean God. they're just it's like it's hard to parody a Michael Bay film because they already employ so much of the language of parody yes. like the self-seriousness constant cliche shorthand it's, it's like one of those games you know, if you ever have one of those games where you have to hold an entire conversation where every statement is a question or uh, you can't say the words yes or no or something like that, you mm. play as kids. Michael Bay makes films that are almost entirely made up of film cliches. Mm. So in the first 30 seconds, you have helicopters over a setting sun. You have Marines folding a flag solemnly. You have someone directly addressing a grave in the rain and then telling that grave, <laughs> there's something I've got to do. Mm. So it's constantly showing and telling and then telling you again yeah um yeah so that was i think i hadn't watched this since i was probably about 13 or 14 maybe yeah i probably haven't um, seen this for a lot 10 15 years maybe yeah um but i mean it starts it's i mean at least it starts off fairly fairly quickly mm. they, it doesn't do a lot of setup um did you feel like you were getting a good insight into ed harris's uh sort of uh anti-hero military guy yes but like you say it's a bit heavy-handed um a bit also michael bay comes from a background of making music videos and commercials doesn't he yeah that's right there's a lot of this that feels like it could be a pepsi advert yeah completely and even just i mean i know i've already said about using cliches but Mm. you start you start off counting them when you're watching and then they just it sort of lulls you into an almost comforting mulch of sort of film references or things that happen in films that you just don't need to do no. like I think very early on when they're giant they storm that base so the the, the film opens with them uh, with, with Ed Harris sorrowfully saying that thing to the grave mm. and then the next scene he's got an elite commando unit who are breaking into a government facility which has these this chemical weapons but like at every point of that thing it's it's you know uh, a commando lifting their lifting their faces above a waterline and you're like mm. okay well that's just that's just platoon mm. and then it's people barking orders into okay well that's just commando or predator mm. um they use that access card you hear the beep and then the camera zooms in and you see text going across the little thing saying uh accepted yeah or approved or like <laughs> you only need either the beep or the message or just people will get it it's mm. it's it's like he doesn't he makes sure that everyone has at least three chances to know what's going on in every scene it's slightly lobotomized there's a specific shot in this film though that i reckon if you freeze framed it and put the pepsi logo on it you'd be like oh i remember that pepsi advert and (laughs) it's when it's when it's the very end it's when good speed spoiler alert runs out of that church with the table leg and the guy's car going ah you're burglar or whatever and he gets in the car and the car drives off and the car on the back says just married yeah you'd be like if you replace that table leg with a can of pepsi You'd be like, that's a good Pepsi advert. Yeah, um, I mean, it is. I suppose when I was a kid, I didn't even, I, I didn't really like these films that much either. Because, mm. like, I was probably a bit of a, I probably was just exactly enough of an idiot to want to watch, like, really schlocky, well done adventure and action movies. But I was just enough of a snob that I wanted them to give you, to just do the bloody work of, of adding the veneer of, uh, some form of class or you know some form of, of not just connecting every dot for you so as much as I 
you know, loved watching, you know, uh, Indiana Jones films or Bond films or whatever. It always seemed that Michael Bay's were just pitched for someone who was, I don't know, like, who was trying to watch a film while they're, they're like, there was a small fire they needed to attend to. Like, <laughs> like it's just, like, so many extra chances to understand what's going on every time. Mm-hmm. The dialogue is very, very basic. Yeah. Um, but it is enlivened, though, by... Uh, some of the performances not Ed Harris funny enough Ed Harris isn't given very much to do but um, no. but Nicolas Cage is he's great nice. in this he's so I, because he's become a meme and because he's yeah. become this thing that everyone talks about I yeah. think people forget just how bonkers mm. uh, his choices are as a as an actor um, I listened to the director's commentary I don't know mm. if you got a chance to listen I didn't to get a chance to listen to it no you sent it to me but no. it's it's great because he is exactly the way he is in, in all these things where he's incredibly earnest uh, about his process he's very matter of fact he's not too like wanky or pretentious about his choices but he's 100% making choices like there's points at which he uh, he talks about how he was attracted to this was his big blockbuster feature mm. debut in terms of like really that sort of film that now it feels yeah. like is this every every second or third Nicolas Cage movie is basically him doing this kind of a Yeah, this thing. was pre-Con Air and all that. Yeah, could yeah, be. And they, you think about how Nicolas Cage's persona has been so wrapped up in that kind of performance mm. since. Because he used to be the guy who gave the unhinged performances in weirdo movies. Yeah. <laughs> and then, no, he just, he he's the guy, you know, doing these performances in the most blockbuster of blockbuster movies. And it still kind of works. Like, he just elevates everything. Like, even that ludicrous opening exchange where you, you meet him and he's he refers to himself as a Beatlemaniac. Uh-huh. And uh, he there's just so much showing and telling of, like, this guy's a cool guy. Uh-huh. He, he cares about music as well as chemical weapons. He's a bit but of Jeff Goldblum to, as well on this, I think, at the beginning there. Yeah, he he's is. He's got lots sort of ticks like and eccentricities. And... Yeah, and he also is... He, he just seems to be at a slightly different angle to everyone else mm. in the film. Like they're all giving very serviceable, quite schlocky B movie performances, and he's just this absolute ludicrous force of nature, who at any moment can say something like Zeus's butthole, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it. Nobody else is talking like that in the entire film. It's like he's been plopped in from a, a par an SNL parody of the film that he's in. But we start off. We meet him when he's um, he's putting together like this Rube Goldberg machine. That's right. That's a real. That's another astounding cliche of late eighties, early nineties. Oh. Sort of, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's actually so lazy that it goes, you know, through the whole way, the whole day, to the other end of, of actually, they're working really, really hard at being that lazy. Oh. It's like how many different cliches we can set up to this guy is. Uh, he may be a bit scatterbrained but he's also got a meticulous mind and he might be eccentric but he also gets the job done you know they're just the, they're the lab boys I think they they're kind of setting up the fact that despite the fact he's an FBI and a special agent he's maybe more of a uh, sort of a sciencey geeky guy yeah um, but you can also work under extreme pressure Seamus that's true oh. um, even if that extreme pressure is just uh, blowing out a, a hulu girl that's on fire mm-hmm. um that was was that was that really what the whole Rube Goldberg was designed to do? By the way, just I set so. that, yeah. so just set that per sacrificial woman on fire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he, him and his friend. <clears throat> at this point, by the way, we should have mentioned that <clears throat> when you mentioned about Ed Harris and his gang going into that base, they stole um, was it sixty or fifteen 
VX gas rockets. Yeah, did so did they steal fifteen? Because then they they were going to steal sixteen, but one of them got dropped and one of his men died. Oh, that's right. That was yeah. actually quite a gnarly death scene. Yeah, I did not. Re- I did not remember that. That was quite tough. It was. Uh, he turns into Toad of Toad Hall. He does. He yeah. does. It's kind of shades of um, shades of Chernobyl, kind of the oh. pustules or whatever they're called, the um, uh, bubos. You know, the things oh. the bubonic plague causes. Yeah. Um, that was quite gnarly, and it it's pretty much the only. Th- Thing like that in the film. I think one person eats one later on. Yes, later on. Yeah. And they don't seem to have even remotely as bad an effect, which it, presumably that would be worse, but maybe more dropped than were consumed. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I don't want to fault the the realism of this film so early on. You know, let's get it, give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so, Stanley, we've been introduced. Stanley Goodspeed is his name. Yeah, great name. A, a very normal name. And uh, he is like a chemical dude or as he refers to himself later a super freak um and he it, it, he's had, they've been received this box that's going to go to was it is it um slovenia or something so it was uh, serbia serbian so. serbian aid to bosnians or bosnian aid to serbia one of the two and they suspect yeah. there's some sort of weapon inside yeah so him and his young friend his rookie have to go inside this uh sort of chamber and get sealed yeah. inside in costumes, and they have to go through it. And <clears throat> at first, it looks like it's perfectly innocent. The rookie brings out a baby doll. Yeah, that was, I mean, incredibly, uh, incredibly movie prop, mongus. Yeah. Sort of like haunting, creepy, sort of child's doll hmm. that sprays. And well, it was, also it was pornography saying, in a child's doll as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, four grumble mags mm-hmm. and a poisonous doll. Um, <laughs> Which is, which, which suggests yeah. that like I don't know I don't know who and then also by the way it sprays the stuff at you yeah but then it also has a bomb in it it's like, <laughs> I mean they're taking no chances again it's like Michael Bay was was given the option and he said no I'll make it a bomb as well but we've also got some classic Michael Bay tension here where something tense is happening but you have to keep cutting to someone who says we're all going to die we're yeah. not going to make it. Yeah, and there's just kind of like wisecracking from Kate, from Cage. So you mm. see that he's he's good under pressure. Yeah. But it's very hard to understand exactly what he's doing. He's just got to cut a, cut a wire. But yeah. does that stop the C4? Does that stop the spray? Is the spray not already killing them? It's going through their... The spray's their eating their suits, but they managed to get the sprinkler system on. So I'm guessing that's got rid of the spray. I mean, yeah. Well, then there's the C4, which I'm assuming isn't going to be like getting wet. <laughs> um... But he, yeah, he manages to disarm the bomb just in time. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it was that was at least a little bit tense. I think the it was better, um, had better momentum than the scene that we just seen, which was the, um, the underground bunker being robbed. Which yeah. actually, as an action scene, wasn't very good. You couldn't really no, see what was going it's on. It's boring. It's, you can't see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and this was quite clear. It was very obviously very brightly lit, sort of garish kind of bright whites. Uh, the whole thing was actually quite good. I quite, yeah. I quite enjoyed it like, for all its silliness. No, I did. Um, <clears throat> and it all, it's also got some foreshadowing, as did the army base, because we know now what the chemical does. And here we've also got the foreshadowing that if, if you're a chemicals expert, there's a point where you might have to put a jab, a giant needle into your heart. Yeah, which, by the way, seems... I think I'd find that quite tough to do. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I mean, in your heart, I don't even know if I'd be able to find it properly. No. Uh, and at one point, I think someone does put it in, and I'm sure that they put it in too low. 
Yeah, well, Nicolas yeah. Cage does it later. Does it, is, he, is that because yeah. it's his? Is, does someone else not do it as well? I don't, uh, know. I don't think uh, so. That guy has to, but he doesn't want to. He's too scared. And then it turns out he doesn't have to because okay. good speed has saved the day. Um, Godspeed, good speed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we get Hummel, who is Ed Harris, phoning in his demands to the government and speaking to Stuart Wilson, who's an act, a British actor who somehow seems to have found himself in Hollywood in the 90s playing Americans all the time. Is he the, is he the guy, the chief of staff guy that gets picked on for being a pencil nick, pencil dick? No, he's the other guy who knows Ed Harris, calls okay. him by his first name. Ah. That guy. He was the baddie in Lethal Weapon 3 as well, around this time. Oh. Uh, did, you, did you clock that it was a video call to the Pentagon, but he also had to use a phone? Yes. Why, like, again, it's like he just refuses to make a choice. Yeah, yeah. He, he gives you all the options. <laughs> <laughs> um, presumably he could have just done that the other way. And the video call is very stable. Mm. Um, it's nice and green as well. Yeah, it's great. Um, and is it just on all the time? Is it ready to go? There was no dial tone or anything. No. I mean, again. Know. We'll never find uh, out. Um, by the way, we, there was just before this was when mm. uh, John Spencer of the West Wing... Uh, oh yeah, he gets the call saying you have to go to the Situation Room or whatever, and he he has a very very short phone call where someone says something like, uh, I think it's Hummel actually rings him and says uh, I'm on Alcatraz, blah blah blah. So it's like about twenty seconds. Sets the oh phone, yes, that's right. Rising music, and so John Spencer acting explosion says, <laughs> looks like Alcatraz has just reopened. Yeah, which is a huge leap from the information that he received. Yeah, um, it's pithy, hmm. but it's it doesn't seem to. It seems to be slightly jarring with the the seriousness of the moment. It's for the um, trailer, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it when you see that. Though. Yeah. There's a uh, there's, there's another bit later on, which I'm sure you, you've probably got written down when when uh, Sean Connery says, "Gentlemen, welcome to the Rock." Yes, <laughs> you're like, wait, say the title of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah all zoomed in, covered in dry ice. <laughs> welcome to the Rock. <laughs> yeah, um, you should have had that yeah. at the beginning of the film. They absolutely should have done. Yeah. I like it whenever a film is polite enough to introduce itself. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, the other thing I kind of I, I mentioned there briefly, which mm. is quite nice, is the other late eighties, early nineties staple of these kinds of movies, which is the 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 pencil dick, the one mm. guy mm. who's like maybe a bit younger, who's like a stickler for the rules, or isn't a military guy, mm. who just gets shat on by everybody else. Yeah. Um, he just t- gets told to shut up by Hummel. Everyone else in the room just kind of agrees with Humble and says, yeah, this guy shouldn't be fucking talking. It's so an army man can say to that person, he doesn't in this case, but so they can say things like, I was new, I was napalming Saigon while you were still a scratching your daddy's ass. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. that was, I spent most of my childhood scratching my dad's arse. Uh, it's one of those, yeah. one of those childhood sort of shibboleths. Um, yeah. But the, he does actually say something like that. He says something when you were still nine years old or something. He, yeah. did, he was, he was, I was... Uh, I was uh, putting my blood in the mud or something That's like right, that. That's right, yeah. Spilling blood in the mud. That's I can't right. remember what the phrase is. Yeah. Um, but he again, worked in a blood bank. <laughs> he did. He was really bad at it. Really bad. Um, Clumsy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then this leads to the one guy that they can get. Yes, because Philip, Philip Baker Hall says, oh, I know one man. And Womack... Not the other Womack, just one Womack. <laughs> just singular Womack. Singular Womack says, you got to be out of your goddamn mind, something like that. Yeah, he does. And then you have, I think, they, they have a little side conversation where it's mm. kind of setting up that uh, 
you know, he has maybe he's the story that's been told about Sean Connery's character isn't correct true, which is kind of a bit of foreshadowing. Oh, we should but say then, as well though that Ed Harris, the reason he's doing this, he wants a hundred million dollars. Uh, because uh, all of his fallen comrades won't even give him military burials, and it's not fair. Yeah, he's doing it for benefits for veterans. That's another yeah. thing. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you can see his point, I guess, but this mm. doesn't seem. I mean, I think he's kind of justifying it because he does also say, and uh, the rest of the money I will disperse at my own discretion. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. It's kind of like those guys who started a GoFundMe for their trip around the EU. Like oh, yeah. EU, super, EU Supergirl. EU Supergirl, yeah. Yeah, she raised loads of money and uh, she just, you know... Went on holiday. She went on holiday yeah. singing incredibly lovely pop songs. Uh, um, um, it'd be good <laughs> if, if Ed Harris's plan was to use the rest of the money to buy scratch cards. Yeah. He's like, guys, I'm going to double our money here. Yeah, or like he buys into like a big like multi-level marketing scheme. He's just selling Herbalife uh, to other generals. And it'll be like, because it'll be slightly based on the past. You go, I've, put, I've, given, I've, put, I've put it all on Enron stock. <laughs> can have it all or a big guitar stab <laughs> talking of guitars though this soundtrack's full of them um, it really is but also Goodspeed's playing one when he's at home uh, that's right but he's doing it naked he's doing it naked and he's listening to Peter and Gordon singing please lock me away which is written by uh, Paul McCartney ah, they obviously couldn't get the actual Beatles songs so they got Peter and Gordon instead so he's sitting there having a wine naked yeah, yeah. and then and t- tells his girlfriend Carla that um, the, the world's horrible and anyone thinking to bring a baby into the world is a fucking cunt and an idiot and who guess what she says yeah she says I'm pregnant therefore I am a prick yeah. and a dickhead yeah um, yeah another bit of really subtle acting Like it's good when you foreshadow something Two and a half seconds before it happens. Yeah, that's that's. The, I mean, a lot of dunces and uh, amateurs and losers in the movie industry they foreshadow stuff that happens way later in the film. I know. What you want to do is you want to foreshadow something that is literally going to happen before you finish your own sentence. But Seamus, this isn't the end of the foreshadowing, <laughs> because immediately after that they're having sexual intercourse whilst <laughs> listening to Rocket Man. Oh my God! Really? Yeah. I didn't even clock that. Yeah, they're listening to the song Rocket Man, and she's. That's when she says. I wore my pigtails for you. And he goes, oh, yeah, pigtails. Very naughty. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's a, like, And the thing is, you're not... If someone is listening to this and hasn't watched the movie ever or in a while, that is not an exaggeration. That, he literally does that line reading. He's like, oh, so naughty. Yeah. It's bizarre. Like, every choice. I mean, this is another thing that comes up a lot in the, the commentary, which oh. I'll probably talk about as we get further and deeper into the film. Yeah. Is uh, Nicolas Cage is not precious about talking about uh, his acting choices. He sounds... He just takes a lot of choices, mm. but he's constantly, ref- without any self-reflection as to why this might be the case, there are seven or eight times in the country at least, possibly more, where he says, well, I originally wanted to do this other thing, but uh, they showed it to test audiences and everyone left, so uh, it, w- it wasn't used then. And he says that as if it's just like, you know, what are the chances? You roll the dice. Rather than he just has a bonkers, like bonkers approach to human behavior yeah. and how it would look in real life or in a movie or in this specific movie but I think he generally just did so many different weird takes that often they just had to choose whatever was the least mad Mm. (laughs) Uh, and like it's amazing his little takes and his little bursts little bursts of absurdity that keep coming up in what is to be honest quite a boilerplate sort of an action movie plot and it probably does actually probably does elevate it even though each individual 
example like oh so naughty hmm. or zeus's butthole or, <laughs> i wonder or, which one of those lines tarantino wrote did tarantino write any apparently of these lines? tarantino had to pass this script yeah to, to punch it punch it up really yeah. it doesn't really feel like because i mean he did that with crimson tide and you can spot hmm. the bits like yeah. very 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 obviously um, apparently a lot uh, of writers punch, punched up this script a lot oh really mm. did that guy who uh, who uh, Richard Curtis uh, cut out to be <laughs> or maybe, yeah. maybe Richard Curtis did a pass I reckon he did my name's Jason Fleming the More Than My Past podcast will see me talking to a wide range of inspiring people. People who have confronted and overcome addiction or imprisonment or both and turned their lives around. I did mad things that was hurting myself and hurting other people. Everybody grows up in a house called normal. Heroin addiction and chaos was my normal. Some people don't understand the word moderation and uh, I was definitely one of those people. The More Than My Past podcast. 
Zeus's butthole. Um, Do you yeah, like the song I mean... Rocket Man? I mean, that sounds like it's from The Simpsons, doesn't it? Yes, that's the joke. <laughs> It pretty much is. Well, I do have a soft spot for any Arnie movie in which he plays a scientist. Yeah. Uh, or he plays a sort of a very sensitive intellectual kind of a guy. So Junior is um, your favourite Arnie film? Junior? I don't you know. I actually rewatched that not too long ago. I think a couple of Christmases ago. And uh, no, it's still pretty bad, but yeah. I completely forgot Emma Thompson was in it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what a weird phase of her career that was. It was. I mean, <laughs> such a strange, such a strange film. Um, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, I could totally see him in this, actually. Yeah, I could. Apparently he didn't um, like the script, but maybe that was before it got punched up by Messer Sorkin and Tarantino. I, don't know. I mean, I can't see... I mean, maybe this... I mean, obviously because I'm sure Sorkin can write all sorts of things, but maybe the Pentagon scenes and the back and forth, mm. it doesn't really seem... I don't see his footprint on this anywhere. No, really. I don't. Maybe don't the know. scene with the quarter. Here's a quarter. You can phone go back to jail. Why don't yeah, you give him an actual quarter? They give him a pen yeah. and a quarter, yeah. and then you're like, well, this guy's an escape artist expert. So it was really actually quite a good... Sh- you know, we were talking about um, uh, how Michael Bay likes to give you as many options as possible. Yeah. So a lesser filmmaker, and I kind of genuinely mean this now, as mm. much as I've been sarcastic before, yeah. I genuinely think a lesser filmmaker would have had him take the pen, and like in uh, U.S. Marshals, the way Wesley Snipes takes... you know. The, uh, the leg of a pair of sunglasses and, and undoes, his, undoes his handcuffs. Mm. You take the pen, you, you undo your handcuffs or whatever, and then you escape. But yeah. he's given a quarter to, oh, maybe he's going to use that for something, whatever. No, he just smashes the fucking window. Yeah. It's like the most unsubtle use of a very small object. Oh. Uh, that actually it did make me laugh because I completely forgot that that happened. And he oh. doesn't do it for any greater reason than just to say, Walmart! I knew to be here. Walmart, he, he, why am he, I not surprised, you piece of shit? <laughs> he just, but he achieves nothing. No. It's like, um, it kind of has a feeling of like toast. It's like toast breaking down the wall for Clem Fan, where Clem Fandango is. Yeah, yeah. And just like popping his head in. Like he, he achieves nothing by doing that. He's, he doesn't, it's it just, I, I just really like it as a flourish to show that he really, really, really hates Walmart. So his name's John Mason and he's a former yeah. SAS guy. Yeah, he is. And we um, meet here William Forsyth with a moustache. And he goes to see Mason to tell him, you know, we need your help on something. And if you do it, you get a full pardon. And that's when he throws him, he throws him a literal quarter. But because it's Michael Bay, we get a close-up of it fl- flying through the air, bouncing off the table and then landing on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's astounding. They, they just give you every single option possible to make sure that you know what's what's going on and what's going to be going on and what's going on next but his style doesn't go well with Mason so they said because um, Womack here's good speed agree you know uh, also agree with one of uh, Mason's points about people who are locked away he thinks I'll get good speed to go in and talk to him yeah and then you see he's not maybe up to the task in some ways he's not very authoritative he kind of gives him what he wants but he god damn it there's something about him he's able to get something well, he's an educated man because he can understand Latin. Yeah, it, he makes... He says, I prefer the Greeks myself. Doesn't offer any proof of this. And says, oh, an educated man. Mm. <laughs> I have heard of the concept of Greeks, is what he said. Um, and then when, when he was talking to the other guy, you could see Stanley Goodspeed uh, sort of mouthing along. You know, he'd said, uh, he said, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh. And he says, King James I. Mm. Like, like he's watching University Challenge and he yeah. wants everyone to know that he knows the answer. Exactly. Yeah, mm, that's quite impressive. Um, so yeah, he goes in and basically agrees to give Connery a uh, penthouse suite 
a suit. And then Goodspeed says, you know what? Maybe you should get a haircut. And he says, am I out of fashion? He says, yeah, oh, it's a yeah, bit grungy. Grunge. It's a bit grungy. Yeah, that doesn't. that's another little setup. They have, they have a callback to that again. They do. When very soon after this, uh, they get him into the penthouse. Mm-hmm. They he he orders up room service. I think as a distraction method. Yeah, he's having a shower, singing along to a song that he's about five minutes behind. Yeah, it's the song's going. Are sequence. you going to San Francisco? Are you going to San Francisco? Don't forget to wear flour in your hair. Yeah, it's unbelievable how bad he is. Yeah. it's obviously there wasn't they weren't piping it in on no, set. They must have not. They, <laughs> this is bizarre. But then he said they can hear that, but then they don't hear him cutting off from that. Yeah. To access a phone which is somehow accessible from, from the shower, uh, from the shower, which is in the same room mm-hmm. as everyone else. Yeah. Um, anyway, then he has uh, possibly one of the bits of the film which might not be done today, which is the incredibly camp stylist. Well, I think Michael Bay has a pro- uh, Michael Bay is from that school of people who think that gay people are really funny. Yeah. Like if you make are. them super super camp. Yeah. Um, and he then again makes that uh, he says what have they been doing to you baby oh. and he says oh, it's a grunge thing oh. and you're like again we like all of our jokes to pay off literally yeah. 17 seconds later <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. before we forget um, there then follows very uh, actually quite an enjoyable bit of hoodwinkery oh. uh, that Sean Connery does quite well oh actually I will say this Sean Connery's hairstyle that he ends up with is terrible it is like for such a handsome man like mm. a, such an ap- like a very distinguished looking guy it looks so Terrible. They should give him a bit of a fringe action, or maybe it's just too—it's oh, just too spiky to work that way. Give him way. curtains. That would have been amazing. Because mm. what they he had so much hair to work with. Yeah. Or even just do it up in a man bun. Yeah. Oh God, no! He had a ponytail in Medicine Man. And he looked awful with it. Did he have long hair in Entrapment? No. No. Well, you know what? Just have him bald. Does it? Yeah, ha- does true. it matter? Has he? So is he? Am I right in thinking he was he properly bald in real life at this point? And yeah. that was just a very impressive wig. Yeah. Because that's actually quite an impressive wig for a bald. You can't see the you, joints though. Because uh, you often, oftentimes when a wig is, or when a haircut is bad enough, mm. you just presume that it's not a wig because why would anyone bother? Yeah, like Bruce Forsyth. Well, I didn't know Bruce Forsyth had a wig. Well, he, I, he, I, I think Bruce Forsyth's uh, technique was to get a wig so bad that people would just think it's his real hair. Oh yeah, well people said that about Trump as well, but then mm. it seems like it's more just a sort of a. Uh, I think he had hair plugs and then a very yeah. complex folding and weaving arrangement. There's a folding and weaving thing. It looks like like really horrible piss flavored candy floss that's been left out <laughs> in the rain. Uh, I don't know if it was by Terry Wogan or uh, someone else, and this might even be apocryphal for any person, but there was, I believe, someone wrote about uh, the very exacting regimen that someone had, where they they had thirty two pays of just slightly bigger. Oh. sizes that they wore every single day of the month and then every month they got their hair cut so to speak yeah. and uh, they'd just uh, oscillate between these 30 different wigs and then go back to the smaller one so they had one every single day's worth of hair growth wow yeah um, Roald Dahl used to tell the story about a guy who would put Epsom salts on his on his shoulders to make it look like he had dandruff goodness people do people do get weird about their hair mm. yeah well, luckily for you and I, we've got luscious hair, so we don't have to worry about that. I sort know. Of thing. I could, I could do with a camp stylist coming in and telling me, asking me, what have they done to you, baby? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or I could do with, I could do with pigtails. I'm probably closer to pigtails now. Yeah, you're so could. hot. So naughty. 
<laughs> so naughty. But Sean, while he's also phoning room service, he manages to get like a soap on a rope, rope. Yeah. Out of the wall. I guess it's like a clothes hanger that you find sometimes get in hotels. Yeah, and then he uses that as a sort of a slip knot that he can put. He brings John Spencer acting explosion and uh-huh. swings him out over the building, which surely would pull your own Definitely. arm out of its socket. Like you're, it's a whole body weight currently, and he's absolutely managing it very. I mean, he's a he's a trained SES kind of a hard man, I suppose. Mm. But um, then through considering how much is signposting and how much of the film is deadeningly intent on showing you exactly everything that is happening in real time and then telling you that that thing is happening as it's happening and mm. after it's happening this bit is a bit of a blur because as far as I can tell nonsense. he puts him over the side mm. then he somehow ties the bit that was on his hand somewhere to a chair Yeah. and even if so Nicholas Cage's character Stanley Goodspeed is obviously distracted but he goes to the chair he tries to help him but there's like 12 agents that are around there that he manages to get away from well he He's, orders all that room service and they're inside eating it all like but like, I don't pigs. even yeah they are literally like big fat pigs they're eating turkey legs they're yeah. like the parents at the beginning have spared it away yes um, so they've just turned into literal pigs uh, but it doesn't make sense like what he is the one guy that they're there for I think even if I was trying down on a massive comedy turkey leg which they basically are like, yeah. it's really ridiculous I think I I think I would possibly notice that the one guy that we were all there to protect um, so he escapes there's actually quite a creditable little uh, uh, chase sequence it there's feels like there was a massive upended. hole in the script though and they were just like oh, absolutely car especially because it is utterly consequence free uh-huh. none of it makes any difference whatsoever to the plot no. there's about five or six minutes of shoe leather uh, and you get to see Nicolas Cage kind of showing that he's 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 kind of handy, you know, on the physical side. He can still do things. Uh, he commandeers two vehicles, destroys both, I think. Yeah. And he also he intercepts Connery, who has actually escaped to go and see his daughter. Yes. Played by the beautiful Claire Forlani. Yeah. Um, their whole interaction is done with the the Lord of the Rings Shire theme. I don't know if you noticed yeah, that. Yeah, it's John inc- Mason seems to have been given a Celtic theme <laughs> out of Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Yeah, It's unbelievable. And yeah. it's so sappy. I mean, again, that's the other thing with uh, Michael Bay movies is they're, they're very sentimental mm. in very jarring and funny ways because it's kind of what... You kind of get the feeling that maybe Michael Bay doesn't process human emotion. No, and that he hasn't seen Team America. Yeah, he just basically has to... He just has to... The only sweetness he can taste is like five teaspoons of sugar mm. the only sour thing he can taste is like six or seven fizzy cola bottles at once it's like he's got a dead <laughs> tongue and so everything has to be up he can only be excited at one point did you notice I'm fairly sure the tram at the end mm. something explodes on under or beside the tram that propels it into the air yes, yeah. as if it was a tram that transports uh, midday commuters and also like kerosene <laughs> exclusively <laughs> just like loads of people going to the kerosene factory you know holding loads of free samples um, I mean I know he obviously he has more explosions I think I've seen that chart where it shows the number of explosions in his movies has just increased sort of exponentially with every film but, mm. uh, I quite enjoyed that and then there's a lovely moment where Nicolas Cage notices that he's having a moment with his daughter Yeah. so he says uh, he says hey we need your father to help us on some FBI business. When he could have obviously said, you're under arrest, how yeah. did you escape? And uh, well, She gets upset, doesn't she? She says, oh God, you've escaped from prison again. And then 
<laughs> Stanley says, no, no, he's helping us with a really important case. Once again, it's like one of those uh, common childhood things, like scratching your dad's arse. Mm. It's, oh, dad, you're back from prison again, please. Just go and do your, why don't you do your stint? Do your bird. Mm. Shut up about it. Um, also, doesn't, she's, for someone who at least was a known face, had, had Meet Joe Black come out yet? Uh, oh, no. Okay. She well, was in Mole Rats. That's right, but she's in. She's got an absolutely pointless role in this film. Oh yeah, she doesn't have anything um, to do. She, you kind of think it's gonna. She's gonna come up later on, um, but that doesn't happen. And she has. Uh, she does she know what he does or doesn't she? Does she think he's just a deadbeat guy in prison or does she know he's like an SAS super soldier? I think it's. I think written? it's completely unclear. Yeah, and because it would make the whole thing. If she knew, I mean, if she just thought he was a deadbeat dad who ran off, that's interesting, maybe. Mm. Mm. And if she thought he was an SES sort of wrongly imprisoned guy, mm. which she can't do that, though, because she seems very disappointed in him, doesn't she? She does. It doesn't seem like she knows that it's not his fault. It's almost like he's totally underwritten. <laughs> well, you say that, but then you get the following line where Sean Connery says, thank you for uh, doing handling it. You could have dealt with it a different way. To which Nicholas Cage replies, <laughs> replies, what do you say we cut the chit-chat, a-hole? <laughs> cut the chit-chat, a-hole. It's like every, it's like every syllable he says, he goes, he goes against his own instincts. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just marvelous, and it just elevates what was a completely pointless sequence in the movie. Yeah. It just and keeps you excited for the next thing he says. Let me go back to the briefing room like nothing's happened, apart from Womack's now got a, his arm in a sling. Yeah, uh, and he's like, they're all mates. They're all sitting mm. around a, uh, like a table with like blueprints, and he's just you know advising them as if literally as if nothing's happened. He's like their consultant. Well, because Michael Bien's there, he's going to lead the, the Navy SEALs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, in, into the the, the 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 rock, and that's where they say to Sean Connery, right? Well, so how do we get into the tunnels? And he says, I have no idea. And he says, my blueprints are all up here. And taps his head. And then he says, it looks like you're stuck between a rock and a hard case. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's, that's astounding. I think we know why so many writers were approached. It's because oh. nobody wanted to put their name exclusively <laughs> to lines like that. A rock yeah. and a hard case. Yeah. That is so bad. It is. It's awful. But he, because he, because he, he's got it all in his head, he has to go. And then they go to good speed and say, "Look, you're going to have to go too, because no one knows how to disarm these bombs. You know everything about this chemical." Because uh, good speed explains that it's the worst thing that's ever been on the earth, and they wish they could de-invent it. Yeah, and he well, he also get the sense that he's he doesn't even run to the toilet immediately and throw up. He does. So he's had enough action for one day, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes me think that exactly what you said is the is the case that he uh, they put in the script that chase scene after they've written the other bit, which is him being so terrified of action and adventure that he goes and vomits when he's literally just crashed two cars, blown yeah. the tram, <laughs> and intercepted a you know America's number one fugitive mm. uh, without breaking pace, pointing a gun for a lot of that time. By the um, way, didn't it also say on Mason's file when he looked it up about his daughter, uh, when Nicholas Cage didn't it say he was born in Glasgow? It did, yes. Yeah, yeah. doesn't sound like he was born in Glasgow. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's very very hard to discern. Maybe his accent has changed from thirty years in the clink. Yeah, true. Where well, he was trying to avoid getting gang raped. 
Yeah, they drop that in for a lull, don't they? They certainly do. That's a Tarantino um, line, if ever there is one. Yeah, and it's, it's like, uh, although it's less of a problem now, maybe I'm losing my sex appeal. Mm. It's like, whew, that's a 1996 kind of a vibe that, yeah, thankfully, it's a little bit less normal these days. So they do get to The Rock, and this is when um, the trailer line comes up that you mentioned earlier, because he, he has to go through a series of fire and stamping machines. No, that, to me... <laughs> I mean, it's shades of Indiana Jones, but it's very James Bond as well. Very silly season James Bond that you'd have to do that. Um, also, who knew that underneath Alcatraz there was a series of traps laid, <laughs> laid by ancient Aztecs and yeah. a complex mining cart system? The, uh, that's the, it really is actually just... It's kind of like a shelved script for a, a Lucasfilm adventure game yeah. or something. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It is basically like an underground mine cart. Which I never was very sure. Was that like laundry shoots? Is that what it was? Is that what? Doesn't it's he say that it was a civil? That he says it was a civil war fort. Right. So maybe it's a hangover from the civil war days. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean the the director's commentary actually Michael Bay talks about how they had a huge amount of of, uh, of ambition for that scene with the minecarts and they basically had to throw it all away because it was getting so expensive so that's why they're on like basically a skateboard on wheels yeah, and yeah. they only had 150 meters of track so every single bit that you see uh is just them doing the same bit of track again and again just shot in different ways wow but it's it looks it, it does look actually quite good but yeah. i like the idea that they were like wallace and gromit where they had to move the 150 meters of track constantly in front of them <laughs> um, but um but that does also have uh the moment where I think it's at the point where Nicolas Cage shoots a guy mm-hmm. in a cage. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the second terrible body double falling to their death. Yeah. Um, the other one being earlier when uh, John Spencer's uh, body double is could practice could literally be your local GP. He looks yeah. nothing like yeah. <laughs> he looks nothing like John Spencer whatsoever. Um, which is another thing that Michael Bay mentions on the commentary. You're like you directed it, mate. You yeah. could have probably stopped that from happening. So they get they get into Alcatraz and they go to the shower block. Yeah. And uh, there's a trap there's a trap there they don't realize is happening. And Michael Bien and his men come out. Stanley and um, Mason stay in the sewer. They come out of the shower block and Ed Harris is there with all his men and he says, "Yeah, put your guns down. We've got you surrounded." But he also kind of is appealing. I felt like he was appealing to those guys to join him. If mm. you know what I mean, he was kind of making the. I mean, one of the, th- I suppose, I'm, I mean, I'd be very, very wary of saying anything like subtle or nuanced or whatever, but uh, the film seems to go to more, it goes to more length than you'd expect to make Ed Harris's aims seem noble. Yeah. You know, they probably didn't need to do that, which I suppose is something it has going for it, where it's, you know, it's a little bit more interesting. Um, it's basically the plot of Die Hard 2, really. Yeah. Like, the sort of a rogue... Uh, faction of the military who basically are going to get their goods because they've been mistreated by the state or whatever, mm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but they kind of make him seem like he has that moment then with the the fallen soldier uh, who are on the FBI side and he like, you know, tenderly closes his eyes after he dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Um, they're not really giving Ed Harris very much to do. No. And a lot of what he has to do is quite stupid. But they're clearly... <clears throat> You know, they've gone to a little bit of effort, at least a tiny bit of effort, of trying to make him seem like a more, uh, a more two-dimensional character. So he's not just one-dimensional. He's he's just he's only two-dimensional. Yeah, 
because it's quite sad that they've had to kill. They basically kill all Michael Bean and all his men. Michael Bean says, "Look, I agree with you, but you swore an oath." you defend this country and right now you're acting like a bit of a terrorist <laughs> you know their stance on terrorism this mm. isn't about terrorism it is exactly about terrorism mm. my friend mm. you know have some freedom fries chill out <laughs> uh, but they all get killed they get massacred and um, Sean and uh, Nicholas Cage they grab the walkie talkie and the gun and this is the first moment where John Mason tries to run off he does this about four times yeah and it Which gets quite annoying by the fourth time I suppose he is an escape expert. That doesn't mean you yeah. have to escape every room. That's how you, pra- you have practice, man. He's like you some sort of Monty Python day... character. <laughs> but every day that you're... I mean, it's, it's like you ever see anyone who's like... Uh, who's like trains at magic. Like they always have a pack of cards around. Oh. If you want to be an escape artist, you just have to escape every place you are all the time. Just keep, keep the weapon sharp. So William Forsyth at this point pulls John... What's he called? John Spencer? John Spencer acting explosion. John acting explosion. He pulls him to one Womack, side. Is that his name? Yeah, Womack. He pulls Womack to one side and says, look, level with me. What the fuck is going on with uh, Mason? What, why was he in prison for so long? What did he do? And it turns out, and this is quite a thing to let go in this film without actually focusing on it, that he's stolen secret plans from J. Edgar Hoover about all America's secrets. And then he yeah. goes... He goes he knows how John F. Kennedy died, and he goes, he even knew about the Roswell alien. And I'm like, what? So that actually happened? Yeah, and the JFK stuff, he says yeah, as well. Like, yeah. Uh, just drop in the aliens that landed in Roswell, though. And it's completely yeah. buried, never mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. If I was William um, Forsyth, I'd go, wait, wait a minute. Aliens did land at Roswell. That actually happened. But no, he just doesn't. He's obviously not a very curious person. Yeah. Um, again, it's just, it's just absolutely. It's just so casual. It just shows that they were basically just writing this one uh, as they went along. Maybe yeah. maybe some other writer came in. Richard Curtis's edit came in and yeah. had a whole thing where the alien comes in at the end. Um, but I don't think this has got Richard in. Curtis's fingerprints on it because there are some black people in this. <laughs> oh, that's true. Hmm. And that's end of part one of this episode of Smirchpod. We'll be back later in the week with part two. So please stick around. But in the meantime, why not like, subscribe, review, enjoy, share, tell everybody you like. And, you know, why not even buy Thunderbook? Hey, why not? See you next time. I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. On such a time. I think it's gonna be a long, long time Till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man that think I am at home If you're a fan of all things geeky, you're going to love Concessions, a brand new podcast by comedian Matt Hunton and myself, Beck Hill, where we interview your favourite cult heroes at Comic-Cons all across the world. We've got stars from Star Wars, Harry Potter, The Walking Dead and more. Make sure you tune in soon to Concessions.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 